that Gary Poor is like one of my favorite guys. <laughs> so is Mike, and so is Craig. All those guys are going to be teaching, be part of the teaching of the summer series. I'm so excited. I can't tell you how, how excited. I'm meeting with all of them, or most of them, uh, today. And uh, just kind of pray over what we're going to be covering and stuff. But I am truly stoked to just sit and listen and get fed from all these guys from our church that God is raising up, using some for the very first time in front of people <laughs> like you. Um, you know, they might have taught in Sunday school, little kids. Some of them are teaching over at Fender Fire Camp and things like that. But uh, I am just so excited to be able to just sit and, and enjoy and bask in what God is doing in and among our church with some of these men. So I am excited, excited, excited. And I pray that you guys would change your schedules and be here, man, because uh, it's going to be awesome. So anyways, we are going to pick up this morning where we left off last week. Where um, I didn't get to finish what I intended to finish last week. I know last week in your bulletin, it said that we were going to cover Second Peter 1 through 11. But what happened, well, as I started studying, I realized I'm not going to get to chapter or to verse 11. So I told you um, that it was, we were going to get to verse 8. And then as I was teaching first service, and I didn't want to change first service from second service, um, we only got to verse 3. And so that's where we're going to pick up today. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 4, and hopefully we can hit my intended target of getting to verse 11 this time. And so if you haven't already, turn to Second Peter, beginning in chapter 2, and we will read from verse 1 to verse 11. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and, brought, and bring on them swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day and see, by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh 
in lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a railing accusation against them before the Lord. In this chapter, Peter has begun to deal with one of the main topics of this book, which is the false teachers. Those false teachers who had made their way into the church, um, the churches that he was ministering to were those in Asia Minor on the northern part, as I've shared with you in the past. And there was false teachers who had now infiltrated the church, the churches up there that he is ministering to. It says that they secretly uh, are bringing in destructive heresies. They were secretly coming in and beginning to divide the church, bringing disunion within the church, these, these false teachers. They were beginning to teach other things that were more on the edge or, or away from what Orthodox was teaching. They were becoming more unorthodox in their teaching. They were kind of bringing this separation to the point that they were even denying like biblical truths. They were denying the Lord who, brought, who bought them, it says, even to the point of denying His deity because they thought if they can diminish His deity and not make Him out to be who He says He was or is, they would be able to divide the church. These lying snakes that had slithered into the church were making merchandise of the people. They were bringing in these, these deceptive plastic words and smiles that people were being attracted to. And, and these snakes were feeding on their own lusts and egos. They were coming in, slithering in through the people and finding those whom he, they can draw away for themselves. And here's the sad thing about what we've just read through this portion. The sad thing is, is that many were following them in their destructive ways or deceptive ways as well. Which is a sad commentary of the people that were there because they could not distinguish between the true and the false. These people that were listening to these false teachers had no clue what was real and what was fake. And so they were following after some of them, not all of them, but it does say that many were following after them. It's a sad commentary. And as I was thinking about that, I'm wondering if those people that were following these deceivers, these snakes, I wonder if they were following after them because as those guys were fulfilling and appeasing their flesh, their egos, these, these people that were following after them were going, hmm, it kind of appeals to me because it fulfills my ego, <laughs> my flesh, my lust. You see, they weren't... They, 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 they weren't knowledgeable enough in the real to understand that that should be put away from you, that there should be a distinction between those who are following after Christ and those who are following self and lust and covetousness 
and things like that. And so, again, and just thinking as I'm looking at this, thinking, well, they're sitting in church and they're hearing other people in church kind of leading people this direction. They're going, well, that's appealing to me. And, and as I think about that, it's, it's almost like there's people that were coming into the church saying, well, it's okay to go this direction, where the Word of God said no, but they're going, it's okay. And so they're going, well, since they're in the church, it must be okay. If that Christian's doing it, then it must be okay for me to do it as well. See the deception that was kind of going on? They were kind of getting, getting their egos stroked <laughs> as well, which was wrong. But see, it was sad because they didn't realize what was true and what was fake. And they were following after those deceptive things. What I really didn't get to last week is what we'll get to this week. But last week it alluded to it was the destruction and judgment (laughs) that would come upon these lying snakes, i.e. false teachers. Unless there is repentance. And I, and, and I throw that in because here's how big and how good God is. That even if these lying snakes, these teachers repent, God is willing to forgive them. Which is not, you know, when I think about my, I don't know, I would say my wickedness. It's almost like, no, God, don't, don't let them repent. I want to see judgment come upon them. <laughs> but that's just me. And thank God I am not God, for you, for your sakes even. Because there would be a lot of crispy critters in here, man, that I'd be... It's like, you want to bring division? You want to bring disunity within the church? Bam! Done. Who's next? Anybody else? Want to volunteer to be a false teacher? A lying snake? But see, God's long-suffering... He truly is. And we'll see that even in the judgments that we see, He doles out. Man, He's long-suffering. He's not short-tempered like I would be when it comes to people that want to hurt the sheep. And so in verses 4, 5, and 6, we see these judgments. And even though we don't always see the judgment that comes upon those people who I feel especially judgment is due to them because they're bringing harm to the body of Christ, even though we don't always get to see it, Peter gives us some examples of judgment that has already been doled out, that's already been dished out in history. You see, one of the things that I like about this portion here is that God is not afraid to judge God is a loving God. He really is. Man, His love is enormous. It's great. But He is not afraid to judge. You know, as I was thinking of even that this morning, I was thinking about how God will let people do their own thing if they want to. And I was thinking of the rich young ruler, if you know the story. He comes in or comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, do X, Y, and Z. Blam, 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 blam. He says, done. He says, okay, then sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And it says that this young man was sad. You see, there was a covetousness within him that he didn't realize, or he, well, it came to fruition as, as God was, as Jesus was telling him, sell everything. See, there was this ego thing about him, even, 
that, that he didn't want to sell everything and follow Jesus. And here's the interesting thing, is that in that story, it says that he turned away sad and he walked away. And, and, and listen, Jesus didn't go running after him as he saw him sad walking away, going, oh, oh, oh come back, come back, come back. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean it. I will change everything I believe in for you. No way. He let him walk away. I think God loved him so much to let him walk away. You see, God, he is a good God. He is a loving God, but he is a just God. And he's the one that makes the rules. And you can follow the rules or not follow the rules. But if you don't want to follow the rules, you can go on with your bad self and do whatever you want to do, and he will let you walk away. That's how big and God, (laughs) awesome he is. And so the first example of judgment that he gives us here comes upon these angels. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. For you note takers, if you, if you want to write these scriptures down, Isaiah fourteen twelve through 17 Isaiah 12, or 14, 12 through 17. Ezekiel 28, 1 through 19. That's 28, 1 through 19. And Revelation 12, 3 to 4, 3 and 4. All these scriptures talk about the rebellion of Satan. They are alluding to a rebellion that happened. When pride became evident in Satan. Now, it's believed, again, that Satan was this high angel, this high-ranking angel in heaven, who at one point decided to take the throne. He wanted to be God. His pride welled up within him. And, and, and it is believed, when we read through Revelation 12, that, that a third of the angels were thrown down, cast down with him. That, that a third of the angels decided, hey, we're on his side. And they were cast down. Now, some of the angels are like Satan. In that, as we learned in 1 Peter uh, 5, 8, that Satan roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he has those who, who, who are oppressing and messing around with uh, people in the world. There's this, there's this dark side of life. <laughs> The spiritual realm. Ephesians tells us that there is, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.12. That we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There is that realm where there are angels, demons, that are messing with people. They go around like Satan to oppress. They go around to, to harass in the spiritual realm. But the angels that Peter is talking about here, he's talking about these who are locked up and awaiting judgment. They have been locked up since that fall. They don't go around messing with people and I'm thinking, man, how bad are these angels? That some of them go around messing with people in the spiritual realm, but these are locked up and they are awaiting judgment. eventually they will be sent to the lake of fire, which is the final judgment, where hell will give up the people that are in it, the creatures that are in it, and they will be finally judged. 
The word hell in this verse is the word tartas, tartas, tartarus in the Greek. And it means the depth or the deepest abyss of Hades or hell. The deepest abyss of Hades, which is hell. And that phrase, cast them down to hell, and I'm going to say hell as many times as I can in this message. Okay? Just so you guys know that, because it's in here and I get to say hell. (laughs) Just kidding. But this phrase, cast them down to hell, is to cast or to hold captive in Tartar. Tartus, 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 to be held captive in Tartarus, which means that they are incarcerated there in eternal torment, eternal torment. Jude says this in Jude 6, and the angels that did not keep their proper domain, domain, but but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Those who did not want to stay, he sent into this darkness under chains to where there's there's torment even now, but there's a judgment that is awaiting them. Guys, there is no partying in hell, as some people might say. You know, some people is like, oh, I'll just go to hell where all my friends are and we're going to party it up. Woo! Wrong, fool. You're a fool if you think that, that there is partying in hell. There is torment going on right now in hell. That's what's going on right now. It is a place of torment that Jesus says was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's a holding pattern. It's a holding place for the the ultimate judgment. Satan does not rule hell. God does. He rules hell even. That's how big our God is. Satan's not even in hell. He doesn't, he he still has access to heaven, Job tells us. That he still goes and stands before God and God says, hey, have you considered my servant? (laughs) But he will spend some time in hell. Go turn over if you want, or write it down, to Revelation chapter 20. Verses 1 through 3. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no longer until a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a while. 
Satan will spend some time in hell, but he will not rule in hell. He will be shut up and tormented in hell for a thousand years. This is speaking about the millennial time where Jesus will rule and reign here on earth and Satan will be done away with for a year. Later on in this portion of Revelation, it tells us that he will be released or told us there that he will be released. And when he is released, it says that he will go into the world once again, like he does today, and deceive people. And here's a sad thing. Many will follow him after that. Here you have the millennial time, which is peace, where Jesus is ruling and reigning here on earth. Satan is released for a short time and people still follow a deceiver. Isn't that a trip? It's like, are you guys serious? You guys have been experiencing this millennial time? And you still, that's how much he deceives. If God did not make an exception for those who were once in heaven with him, what makes us think that he will make an exception for us? He won't. He is not afraid to let people go into hell. He he won't send them there. They send themselves. He has provided everything imaginable for people to be with him in heaven, but they have chosen not to, and so he lets them walk away, just like that rich young ruler, because of most of their greed. Their covetousness will send them to hell. These false teachers that, that Peter is talking about are on track to receive that same kind of judgment as those who, who came against God in heaven. This is his footstool, this earth. He is not afraid to judge those who are on the earth. He is not afraid of that. God is a God who is just, and he is not afraid to bring judgment upon people. And so there is no escape, except if there's that repentance that happens while people are still on earth. As long as people have this breath within them, and they repent, God will. But many of these false teachers, they, they are so stuck in their pride and their arrogance that they will not repent. The second judgment that we see here is the flood. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 6. For 120 years, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. It's interesting that, that, that again, it, it's, it, the way he words that, he was a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't a preacher of damnation. He wasn't a preacher of judgment in that sense. Although, if he was preaching righteousness, I'm sure he talked about the judgment that would come. But he had no clue when it would come. But he was a preacher of righteousness. He was heralding, heralding out the message. And the ungodly who were there would not listen. And so judgment came. It is believed that back in that time, before the flood, there was as many people in that day as there is today. There's some 7 billion people on the earth, 7.5 billion people. And it is believed that there was just that many back in that time. People were living a lot longer than they're living now. They were living to be into their 900 years. And so there was a lot of babies going on there. There was a lot of growth happening there because people were living forever, it seemed like. But they all died eventually. It's interesting because, again, out of all those people that lived at that time, only eight survived. Eight. That's it. 
That's all. Genesis 6.3 says that the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. And in their flesh they were wicked. And wickedness ruled the day. And the people were wicked. They were so bad that God destroyed. He had to destroy all these people. God is long-suffering. He gave them 120 years or so. But He will punish wickedness. Make no mistake about it. God called to the people within that time because Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He gave them time to repent. He is long-suffering. He knew, God knew, that judgment would be coming. And He gave these people time to join Noah and his family, and yet they mocked Him. Can you imagine for, for all these years that Noah is being the preacher of righteousness, but he's building an ark and they're laughing at him this whole time as time went on. I, I, I would bet that they came against him and they thought that they were getting away with it because eh, nothing's happened yet. It's no big deal. They, they, they thought that God was indifferent to sin, to wickedness. Just like people today. They, they, they think that because it hasn't happened to them or they haven't been judged, that God doesn't care. They, they even go so far as to say, well, if I'm wrong, let God strike me dead right now. Right now. Right now. I'm calling Him to strike me dead. doesn't happen. See? See? Nothing's going to happen. And they continue on in their arrogance. They think that God doesn't really care about sin because nothing has happened to them yet. And so they think that they can get away with it. You see, judgment didn't come <clears throat> upon the earth until Noah and his family stepped into the ark. And it says that God closed the door and judgment fell. Then it was a little too late for them. Too little, too late as the saying goes. The door was shut and it wasn't going to be back open. And God was going to deliver them, but judgment was going to fall on the rest of the world. And I think our little Sunday school pictures have it all wrong when we see Noah in the ark with all the happy animals and stuff and, and all the waters seem nice and clear and stuff. And it's like, no, there was like dead bodies bloated because they, they were in the water dead. That's the reality of it. All the judgment that came upon the people. It was too late. Thirdly, we see the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah as an example for the debauchery and the depravity and the wickedness of their sin of perversion. This is how Jude puts it. Jude is pretty similar to this chapter in a lot of ways. But it says uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7 of Jude, it says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having, been, having, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude tells us that they went after strange flesh, that which was not normal. 
Romans tell us, tells us that men would, would, would put away the, the desires for women to go after their own flesh. Men with men and women with women. It has been said that if God does not judge this nation for its perversities, He will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Guys, we're living in a perverse time in our lives. We're living in a time when the NFL, the football league, ostracizes or shuns a young man who drops to one knee to give thanks to his God, to his Savior, and they make fun of him and they ridicule him for being a virgin, and they say this about him, that he's no good for the league. And yet recently, the NFL and the the nation, they apologize a or they applaud a homosexual kiss that appeared on national TV by the first openly gay player to be drafted into the NFL. Even getting a phone call from the president himself applauding that he had gotten drafted, even though the president had said himself that if he had a son, he would never let him play in the NFL because it's too dangerous, unless maybe if you're gay. If he had a gay son, maybe he'd let him play. You see, the, 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 the portrayal is, it's okay, it's acceptable. Kind of even alluding to, he is like the Jackie Robinson of baseball. And yet, there was a player that got fined and suspended from another team when he tweeted his disgust over this whole thing. The spokesman for that team said that they wouldn't let him back until he took some sensitivity training to get his mind right. (laughs) The CEO of Mozilla was forced to resign to vacate his position because they found out that he had given $1,000 to the Prop 8 campaign years ago here in California because he was in favor of traditional marriage between one man and one woman. We have judges that are overturning the will of the people on a whim. See, you can't come against it right now. There's this agenda that's, that's, that's moving forward. <laughs> and anybody that comes against it is intolerant. Sodom and Gomorrah's devastation was so bad that fire and brimstone fell from heaven. And we're, we're not going to escape it either. They were, they were reduced to ashes, it says. Not leaving a trace of them behind. It's interesting because the Bible tells us that it was a lush landscape at the time. Before, before the fire and brimstone came. It was once lush, gorgeous. The, the, the area... Well, when, when, when Adam and, and Lot split, when they separated, Adam gave, or Adam, Abraham, gave uh, Lot the choice of where to go. And he chose Sodom and Gomorrah because it says that, that, that it was lush, it was beautiful. It reminded him of Egypt. This is what it says in Genesis 13.10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw the plain, all the plain of Jordan, 
and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the, the, the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go down towards Zor. And yet, right now, the place, the area where Sodom and Gomorrah sat is the lowest place on dry land. It is some 1,200 feet below sea level. It is where the Dead Sea is now. It just kind of seemed, because it was so lush, that there was this river that just ran through that. And yet, when God smote it with hell, with fire and brimstone, it was so deep that it's now 1,200 feet below sea level. And now the water can't go anywhere, but it stays there and is just dead. Maybe, maybe Lot, as he looked at that, thought that he could go. And maybe he heard about this place and thought maybe that he can go and, and change them. But Lot was the one that got affected a lot. <laughs> and his family. Maybe he went in the name of tolerance. It just didn't work out. But Lot was delivered. He was delivered from this place. Peter calling him, a, uh, calling him righteous Lot. That he was a righteous man. That he had a righteous soul. And it's hard to imagine him being called righteous when you know the story about Sodom and Gomorrah when he was there. That when the angels came and they were in his house, the men of the city were trying to break down the, the, the doors, trying to get into them because they wanted to know the men, biblically know them. <laughs> and Lot was saying, hey, instead of, don't do this to these men, but I'll give you my virgin daughters and you guys can do whatever you want with them. It's like, oh, righteous Lot, come on, bro. We're told that Lot had four daughters, but he ended up losing two of them in the fire and brimstone that fell and their husbands. They laughed at his, at, at his warnings. Lot, his wife, and two of the other daughters that he had offered up escaped the judgment that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. But he, he was basically dragged out of there by the angels. It's almost like he, was, he just didn't want to leave. But he was dragged out there because he was righteous. And it says that his wife looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. She kind of lingered and, 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 and desired to, to go back. And the interesting thing about that whole thing, about that she became a pillar of salt, is that when you're around the Dead Sea, all you see is salt deposits all the way around. The Dead Sea, it, it, I looked this up, has 33% salt, whereas the ocean only has 3% salt. It is so dense <laughs> that when you go, you can walk in there and basically just lay and you float because it's so dense, the water. It is so salty. When we were there in, I think, 2005, well, that's the only time I was there, um, but one of the ladies from our, our group kind of slipped in there and just like a little dot 
a drop of water that went in. Within minutes, she was vomiting blood. That's how salty this thing is. Yeah, it was, it's horrible. <laughs> but it's interesting that that whole place has all this salt deposits, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Verses 9 through 11 It says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Peter tells us in the first chapter how we can be delivered. We're we're in verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. That's how we escape being reserved for judgment, that we go towards the, the divine nature of God because when we are partakers of that, we can escape the corruption that is in this world. We can escape the, the, the lust that comes from that. But before that, Jesus had said in John seventeen fifteen through 17, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said. Set them aside by your truth, because your word is truth. Your, or his word will keep us from the judgment. The Lord knows how to deliver the ungodly, or the godly, I'm sorry, out of temptation. God didn't take Noah and his family out of the situation. They dwelt in the midst of wickedness, and yet he still delivered them. Even Lot, although he chose his situation to live in the per, this perversity, even though it was all around him, he was still delivered. God is able. God knows how to deliver his people. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you except what, as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He will always make a way of escape for our temptations. Everything that that we are tempted with, He makes a way of escape. See, as Christians, we have to live in and around the world. But it doesn't mean that we have to be affected by it. It doesn't mean that we have to do what the world tells us to do. We don't have to be affected by what it says and what it does. Many times we are oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. We're around them all the time. And we are often tormented day in and day out by seeing and hearing the world's lawless deeds. And yet God is still able to deliver us. Noah, even in the midst of the wickedness, he was still a preacher of righteousness. Lot was considered righteous still. (laughs) And we can say, well, it's worse today than it was back then. Or we could say, no, it's just as worse as it is back then. But either way, it doesn't matter. God is able to deliver 
the godly out of temptation every day every day throughout history he has been able to deliver his people out of whatever temptation was around them again he's talking about the temptation to go do something evil he delivers us from that somebody says man i I could withstand everything except temptation (laughs) i could overcome everything except temptation no he gives us a way of escape out of temptation every day but be that as it may, the Lord is still, still knows how to deliver the godly. And we learn that again back in chapter 1. By being partakers of the divine nature, that's how we are delivered. Which helps us escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. You need to be a partaker. It is the same God that delivers the godly, the righteous, that also reserves the unjust and the un righteous under judgment same god he's not afraid he's not afraid to do that he loves so much he is such a loving god he is able to deliver those who love him he is able to deliver the righteous but he's not afraid to reserve the unrighteous for judgment he doesn't fear it it's not like he's going oh, i hate doing this he's like i'll do it he he will do it <laughs> God is not a God who threatens. He's a God who promises. And He always delivers on His promises. It is no joke, people. It's interesting when we're... Well, we don't have to do it now, but when our kids were younger, we had this paddle. And it was in the paddle drawer. And we never threatened our kids by taking it out and saying, See this paddle? (laughs) If you don't straighten up, I'm going to use it. No. Our kids, they knew that we promised them swats. <laughs> we didn't threaten by taking it. If that thing, it just hear, just the kids hearing that, like, ah, terror. Because we weren't going to threaten it. We took it out. We promised them. They were going to get, I don't care how much they cried. They were going to get the swat. But you see, God's that same way. He doesn't threaten with judgment. He brings it. He promises it. He doesn't threaten people and say, if you don't straighten up, he'll just let you go. But he will bring judgment because that's who he is. He delivers. (laughs) You see, those who are delivered are free. And those who are reserved are detained. They are detained in custody, awaiting judgment, condemnation, damnation. These false teachers have no fear of God. They will come in and scatter the sheep. They have no fear. They, 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 they have no fear for the final authority of God. So it's no wonder that they have no authority for humans <laughs> or, or, or put themselves under the authority. It says that they despise the authority. They walk according to the flesh. They are egomaniacs. Whatever is for them. They live to fulfill and indulge their own flesh. Peter says that they are presumptuous, which means that they are daring men, audacious, overly confident, and they are self-willed, self-pleasing, i.e. arrogant. (laughs) They are arrogant. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. 
That word dignitary normally speaks of a VIP, a public figure, a notable type of figure, but not the case here. In other translations, you might see the word dignities or glorious ones or celestial uh, beings, supernatural beings. It gives us the impression that these false teachers are so arrogant and prideful that they really don't fear blaspheming even the angels of God. They don't care. And, and in a sense, bringing them down to their own level of pride and arrogance. Well, it, the, the, the angels that fell with Satan might fit that mold, but not the ones that are still up in heaven. They don't stoop down to that level. It tells us in, in, in verse 11, whereas that, that the angels who, have, who are greater in power and might do not bring a railing accusation against them, against the false teachers before God. You see, they don't play that kind of game. They understand the seriousness of the revolt that happened in heaven at one time. And they're not going to play that game. They're not going to stoop down to that level. They, they understand. They know the judgment of God. And it's like, mm-mm, not going to play with you. <laughs> I'm not going to stoop down to your level. They will allow God to bring the, the judgment upon them. He knows. God knows what's going on. He is not fooled. It's not like God looks down there going, oh my gosh, they've gotten so wicked. How am I going to do with them? It's like, no, he knows exactly. He knows exactly what he will bring upon the people who do not follow him. They do not bring railing accusations against these false teachers. Guys, God, God is a loving God. He is a fair God. He's not willing that any should perish. He tells us that in the next chapter. But that they should come to repentance. You see, he is so long-suffering that he waits. He really does. He loves us that much. But make no mistake about his judgment. He will always, or he will not always, strive with man. He is not slack concerning his promises or his judgments. You see, he is a just God. And you do not want to be in the place of judgment <laughs> when it comes to God. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He is so capable. I just don't want to be on that side. I think I'm just such a chicken, such a baby when it comes to like pain and hurt. That it's like, no, God, I want to serve you. <laughs> give me mercy. Give me, give, give me grace. I want all that. I want to live in heaven. I don't want, to, I don't want this. <laughs> I've read the book. It's horrible. I've read the ending part. I don't want that. I, there's no way. You know, and, and people, you know, and it's up to you. If you want to follow the rules, the rules that God has set, let's go for it. If you don't, that's okay. He'll let you not follow the rules. If you want to stand on that judgment day in your own defense, standing on your own. Good luck. I want to stand with Jesus. He's already paid the price for me. He's already paid the price for you. There's no reason why you should want to stand in judgment of God. It's no joke with Him, people. 
You know, as, as we pray, there's going to be prayer teams down here, man. If God has spoken to you about where you stand with God, maybe today is your day to repent. He has been so long suffering, He's been waiting for you to ask for forgiveness. And He is that willing to forgive you. He really is. And they will have, we will have people down here come up and they will pray with you. They will lead you into that prayer, into that place where you can go, oh, I don't have to face the judgment. But if you don't want to do that, you can go on with your bad self. Do what you want to do. I don't want to make light of it, but I have my salvation. That's, that's just a fact. I don't have to face that judgment, but if you want to, that's up to you. God will let you walk away. Amen? On that happy note, let's stand and pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word that is powerful, Lord. Lord, the truth that comes out of your word is amazing, Lord. Father, oftentimes when we read your word, we want to be comforted, but there's times that we need to hear who you really are as well, Lord. We know that you are the God of all comfort. We understand that, Lord, but you are a just God. And you do not threaten, Lord. You promise judgment. And Lord, you're not going to go back on that. There are, there are angels that are already reserved for judgment and you're not going to turn your back on that. You're not going to be afraid to, to dole it out, Lord. But I pray for the people that may be here this, this morning that, Lord, they, they've, they've gotten a little different taste of what you look like. And I pray that, God, they would repent this morning, that they would turn towards you and away from their sin, Lord. That they would desire who you are. Lord, the, the things that have kept them back to fulfill their own ego, their own lust, Lord, finishes off in destruction. And I pray that you would capture their heart right now, Lord. Turn them towards you. That they would surrender all of it. And so we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. That we can go through a portion like this and still see your goodness and your faithfulness, to see that you are still willing to suffer long, even today, by giving them another breath. And so, Lord, please, Lord, do a mighty work. And for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they would rejoice that you are able to deliver the godly from their temptation, Lord. Watch over them, I ask. Go with them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.